Hello and welcome to the Media and Marketing Podcast sponsored by Propeller, the PR content and events company. My name is John Reynolds, a host. Uh, later, we're talking to Stephen Woodford, the chief executive of the Advertising Association, who we caught up with at the, um, the recent lead event. Uh, Stephen gives his views on the hard-hitting speech by Tom Watson MP and Keith Weed's manifesto. Uh, but before all that, and sat opposite me, is Dylan Jones, the editor of GQ magazine. Now, thanks very much for joining me, Dylan. You are very welcome. Uh, before we talk all things GQ, it'd be great to get your views on a few recent uh, news stories, which I think... Um, uh, might impact the uh, the magazine industry. Now, William Sitwell, editor of Waitrose Food Magazine, uh, recently stood down after suggesting a series on uh, on killing vegans. He was re- responding to an email pitched from a freelance journalist who had su- suggested a feature on plant-based uh, recipes. Uh, now, I presume William Sitwell was forced out of his role. Do you think he should have been forced to stand down for what he, what he said? I think everything to do with that story is rather hysterical, from what William said to the response from his employers. Uh, I don't think it was particularly dignified for any of them. Uh, I did think it was unnecessary that he was forced to leave, but in my experience, these things tend to be an excuse. And if somebody wants somebody to go, they usually find a reason. Okay. I mean, have you had any... um any similar experience? I mean, did it, did it seem to you... It was, Not with it, vegans, no. <laughs> well, no, a, a, any similar experience when you've responded to a, an email from a, a freelancer and you thought that may, might, might have been construed as, as a flippant comment or was taken the wrong way? Absolutely never. Okay. Uh, okay, that, that William... So, and, and would you commission William? If, I mean, if he came to you for a pitch, would you, would you let him write for you now? Uh, I certainly don't think he's, um, he carries the mark of the devil. Uh, I think he has worked for us in the past, and um, um, hopefully he will again. Okay. Now, I notice you're um, a bit of research, a, a frequent user of Instagram. Um, so Instagram's obviously been in the news a lot recently. Uh, Nick Clegg and another Facebook exec- executive have given interviews uh, when they have responded to the accusation that Instagram uh, was responsible or linked to the death of a 14-year-old uh, called Molly Russell. Uh, she killed herself after looking at self-harm pictures on the uh, platform. Uh, two things. I think you do have uh, children. I'm not sure what age. But would you let your children um, access Instagram if they're of, a, of an age of you know, 13 or 14 even? I think it's very difficult to stop children from using social media. Um, However, uh, the more that social media becomes pervasive in our society, the more issues it it throws up and the more horror stories you hear. And there uh, there are negative aspects to do with all forms of social media. Um, and it's difficult because in situations like this you really need to talk about issues in a in a sort of granular way in, on a one-to-one basis but given its very nature that's almost impossible um, but it's fraught with problems I mean we are in the infancy of social media mm-hmm. and its full ramifications are yet, are, are yet to be played out I think uh, in Facebook, which obviously owns Instagram, has responded to the criticism, saying that it's, in some cases they've been advised by charities that it's good to keep some of this self-harm content on the platform because it raises awareness and it's, it's a cry for help for some people. I don't know if you think that's a good argument or not. Or I think that in general, I think Facebook are not as good at housekeeping as they ought to be, and that sounds like an excuse to me. 
Okay. Uh, well, we, we'll talk a bit more about Facebook uh, a bit later. Uh, uh, the last um, news-related question, I wanted to get your take on, on BuzzFeed and Verizon, uh, Verizon which owns the uh, website Huffington Post. I think they both recently announced significant uh, job cuts. Um, is your reading on that is basically that the for the digital pure players, the, the advertising advertiser-funded model just doesn't work then? No, no, I wouldn't say that. I think it's all to do with the... Uh, with the individual companies and I think that what's what's starting to happen now I think there's beginning to be a genuine return to an appreciation of expertise and I think that there is so much rubbish out there Uh, there are so many regurgitated stories there are so many so-called news stories with indistinct provenance that have been copied and copied and copied and copied until the facts become fiction. I don't think it's any great surprise um, that people are moving back to trusted news sources. And I think that um, one of the things that we found, particularly post-Brexit, post-Trump, is that people are far more engaged and people are far more concerned with the origins of what they're reading, which is why... Uh, there's been a return to to um, to as I say to to trusted news news sources. So it's not a surprise to me when people like BuzzFeed have to down the scale. But mm. well, I mean, yeah, I think you're right about some of these uh, uh, online uh, news uh, ventures. But I think BuzzFeed do actually write a lot of their own uh, material. So I think that I'm not sure about that argument. I think they do a lot of original. They get a lot of scoops. Um, but I, I, I'm with you on a lot of, the, particularly with the newspaper arm, the, the digital arms of, of, of um, newspapers like the Metro, they do seem to regurgitate an awful lot of um, uh, stories. Anyway, let's let's move on to GQ. Um, I think you've got a number of milestones at the moment. I was trying to get my head around all this. So it was GQ's 30th birthday last year. It was. It was your 20th year as editor this year. It will be. And it's your 60th birthday. No. <laughs> you got two out of three. Right, when's your 60th then? Uh, next year. Oh, it's, that's next year. Okay, so I mean, th- th- well, there's a few sort of birthdays hovering around though. So if we look at 20 years of being editor of GQ, what's been your biggest achievement and how do you still keep things fresh? I think our biggest achievement is the fact that we're here and no one else is. Yeah. Um, it was 20 years ago when I inherited the brand and I thought I'd be here for four years tops. It was in a, an incredibly crowded market. Um, I think there were something like 17 men's magazines at, at the time. And now we're the only uh, luxury title still publishing on a, on a monthly basis. Mm. Um, and the world has changed. We all know the world has changed. I personally was considering leaving about 10 years ago, but there was such a change in the industry then. Uh, and now it's like it's like a combination of working on a newspaper, a radio program, and a publishing house, because as well as taking enormous pride in producing a monthly magazine which mm. has the, the the very best journalism and the very best photography and the very best design, we're also producing an extraordinary amount of material on our website, on our social feeds, competing with news organisations and having the largest traffic 
of any brand in Condé Nast. And that's that's a big achievement. And that's testament to um, my fantastic team. Okay, so can you just, for the listeners, can you just give that, I think you're, the ABC figure, I think the circulation's around 110,000. Uh, that's for the printed publication. Can you just give um, a breakdown of those figures? I mean, just roughly how many are subscriptions, how many paid the, for, how many... The, the, um, oh, well, they're all paid for. The, the, the great thing is, and the important thing is, that uh, our digital subscriptions are growing. And I think that if you reel back about six or seven years, mm. uh, I think lots of people thought that the app was going to be the saviour of our industry. And I think we all quickly realised that this wasn't going to be true. But actually, we started releasing the digital edition of our magazine slightly earlier than the printed version. And we say, and we've seen our, our sales increase by 15% in the last six months, which is fantastic news, and we're very happy about that. Okay, so yeah, you mentioned about, before you said you, you were considering leaving uh, about 10 years ago. When I spoke to a few people before this interview, that the kind of key question, isn't it, if, you, if you've been in a job for so long, how do you keep things, um, how do you keep things fresh? I mean, presumably you've had... Uh, offers for the roles have you during that period too have you been um, I mean have you seriously considered leaving for the magazines or I've only seriously considered leaving once but like I say it's I'm doing a job I've never done before because you're not just producing a monthly magazine you're not just producing a website you're not just involved in producing all these social feeds but we have an extraordinary number of events we have a very high profile uh, awards show every year called the GQ Men of the Year Awards which is now in its 21st year possibly 22nd uh, we have uh, the second year of our annual car awards next yeah. week we have very successful food and drink awards we're also hosting another big event um, this year with uh, Soho House inaugural yeah. event we have uh, we have events uh, at BAFTA. We have events during the Hay Festival. It's a huge media operation. You, you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't call yourself working for a magazine. And what do you call yourself working for? Uh, and if, what, what is it? Like well, a I, 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 I work for a brand. Yeah. Okay. Now I know you're not the editor. I know you're the editor. Sorry, not the commercial director. But there's a lot of advertisers who listen to this podcast. Can you just give us a, a, an overview of the advertising market at the moment? I mean, have you had, had any impact at all? Has, have these luxury uh, brands uh, been reigning in spend uh, amid Brexit at all, or has it been business as usual? There's lots of people who don't really know anything who are bellyaching about the changes in the advertising industry. But actually, I think if you know what you're doing and you know who your customer is, yeah, that actually... That digital migration has been incredibly um, uh, important. Uh, we do a lot of branded content now. Yeah. Um, we're having a lot of success with advertising online. And I think it's down to the product. Yeah. I mean, I have to believe that because I think everything is driven by content. And I think success is driven by content. Um, and yes, there's there, there have been sort of clunky... Um, uh, clunky transitions from print to digital for many people but I think that the people who are doing it well are the people who understand um, what the remit is what their mm. brand is 
and they're very good at building partnerships. I think that we wouldn't be where we are today if we didn't understand partnerships about working with the right people and trying to flatter their brands and their consumers. Okay, and I mean, on this podcast, we talked a lot about um, the some of the challenges that Google-owned YouTube have had about brand safety and Facebook with fake, fake news. I mean, it, when you, if you do talk to advertisers, have they ever expressed that they like the, the kind of safety, the, the environment of a magazine compared to, say, a, a Facebook or a Google at all? I think increasingly, because um, as I uh, m- mentioned earlier, I think there's a lot of concern now uh, with in environmental proximity, mm-hmm. um, uh, with the architecture of websites, the, the provenance, the origins of stories. And it's not just consumers, readers, viewers who are coming back to trusted news sources. It is advertisers, because advertisers want to work with trusted partners. Mm. And it's very difficult when you're operating on the kind of scale that Facebook and YouTube and uh, Google and a lot of these big tech brands um, do. Uh, It's very difficult to guarantee a specific kind of audience. Uh, And what we do is we guarantee a very particular kind of audience by dint of the editorial that we produce and the environment that we foster. Okay, and just on Facebook, I know that News UK, the publisher of The Times and The Sun, have been uh, very vociferous, and they think that Facebook should pay uh, uh, a carriage fee for publishers when they they carry their content. I mean, would you agree with that too? 100%. Right, okay. And, uh, okay, so, I mean... I'm probably not a typical. I don't subscribe to GQ. Well, you're a very rude man. <laughs> but I mean, I, I do. Re- I'm probably not typical because I, I do read a lot. Of, I just don't have time to read it. But I mean, I, I, I do pick it up when I'm in the um, the hairdressers. Or we don't, don't give it to hairdressers. Right. When, which, which hairdresser do you go to? <laughs> you, should, you should sue them. <laughs> okay, but I mean, I think my view, just my opinion on GQ, it's got a very solid uh, readership. Uh, you've got some established writers, Tony Parsons, Alistair Campbell. Um, but can you talk a bit about what you're doing to attract readers under the age of 25 who, I guess most of them, um, are used to not paying for um, uh, journalism? Well, I think if you spent any time on our website, you'd see the inordinate lengths that we go to to um, attract and appeal to uh, younger consumers. And we're, we're very confident that our demographic mix mm-hmm. is growing in the way that we need it to because nobody wants to die with their readership, but I don't want my, uh, my older readers to suddenly wander off set. And I think that we, look, we tend to look upon our readers in the same way that you would if you were running a national newspaper, is that you don't want your 30, 40, 50, 60-year-old readers to disappear. But if you don't attract 14, 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old mm-hmm. readers, then you're going to die. And how do you attract those younger readers? I, I mean, have, have you got young writers, have you presumably writing for the website with a, you know, a younger take? Well, on I it? think if you look at our office out there, which has got 50 people in it, um, you'll see a lot of people in their, uh, in their teens, yeah. in their 20s, in their 30s. Uh, and you have to make sure that you have the right expertise for every demographic. Hello. Before the show resumes, a quick word from Propeller, sponsor of the Media Marketing Podcast. Propeller provides PR content and events programs for companies operating in the media, marketing, advertising and technology sectors. In this part of the show, we speak to an industry leader to find out who or what has influenced their own career. 
and we also find out what advice they would give their younger self. My name is Sue Todd. I am the CEO of Magnetic, which is the marketing body, trade body for the consumer magazine sector here in the UK. My business inspiration is so many great people and great content to take inspiration from, but I guess the thing on a weekly basis I get my best dose of ideas from are a handful of podcasts, which I think is apt given the uh, channel that we're talking on today. I'm a massive fan of the TED Radio Hour, a huge fan of Malcolm Gladwell of Blink Fame's podcast, which is awesome. And also I've got to give a shout out to Bruce Daisley's podcast about workplace culture, eat, sleep, work, repeat, which never fails to make me think about how we do things and how we can be better at work, I guess. A bit closer to home, I guess the other source of inspiration for me is journalists and editors, not just magazine editors and news brand editors too. I am in awe of people who have that skill of both being reductive and expressive when it comes to writing. If I think about someone like Anna Bassey, the Week Juniors editor, my daughter, 11-year-old daughter, reads the Week Junior every week and it's the only time I see her absorbed in some content for more than you know, 10 minutes. I'd have a couple of pieces of advice for my younger self. Don't worry about the feedback about being bossy. It will become a strength and not a put down. I would also say on more of a life lesson side, keep calm. You know, I guess the older you get, the more I think you learn that panicking in any situation never helps you get to the right solution. And I guess on more of a fashion level, I would say that that severe fringe you had at 15, where you're modelling yourself on Swing Out Sisters, lead singer, uh, your mum was right, it didn't suit you. I'd like to give a shout out to the magazine gang, I guess, who are an inspiration to me and doing some fantastic work, both on a company and brand level. I listen to the media and marketing podcast because I'm a podcast fan. I mean, I find the channel incredibly inspiring and helpful to integrate into my day. Media marketing podcast is one of my repertoire. It's informative, it's entertaining and gives you that kind of 20, 25 minute snapshot of what's going on. If you want to discuss how Propeller can help you find the story at the heart of your business and amplify it to drive growth, then get in touch at info at propellergroup.com. Now, back to the regular media and marketing podcast. Can we just talk a bit about who you see as your biggest competitor? I think Esquire's, Esquire's moved to a, a bi-monthly now. Obviously, sadly, shortlist has uh, closed I mean, who do you see your, your biggest competitor? Is it, is it the men's magazines? Is, is it newspapers? or? Well, there aren't any men's magazines anymore apart from GQ. Um, our competition these days is everything. I remember uh, 15 years ago uh, talking to uh, talking to one of um, the executives in, in Condé Nast International, and we, we, we were discussing things, saying that the mobile telephone is, is more of a threat Um to, uh, to what we were doing then than any of our competitors, and that remains the case. We're a media organisation, and you could say that everyone's in media now because of social media. We are in competition with everybody. Mm. And what about Shortlist? Did you think that was a good magazine or not? Or? I understood its business model. I, I was surprised that they couldn't make it work because I thought it was good. Okay. Um, just changing tact, on this podcast we've talked a lot about uh, sexual harassment, particularly in the advertising industry, uh, Condé Nast, your publisher, uh, introduced a, a code of conduct, in effect, behavioural guidelines when working on Condé Nast shoots. Uh, the announcement coincided with the New York Times expose that revealed a handful of allegations that famed photographer Bruce Weber and uh, Martio Testino were engaged in repeated sexual harassment behaviour. Um, do you think sexual harassment or harassment has uh, been uh, an issue in the world of magazines uh, in the UK? 
I, I really don't know. We've never experienced, we've never um, seen in any, uh, we've never heard about anything. Um, and obviously, like everyone else, I was appalled when I heard the exact, the, the accusations about those photographers working in North America. Um, but um, we've, um, we've, we've certainly never had any issues here. And I have to say, I've never heard of any. I'm not saying it, it doesn't or hasn't existed, but um, um, nothing has crossed my desk. OK, um, you gave an interview before when you were asked about Harvey Weinstein. Uh, you said a lot of people have been exposed, which is a good thing. But in the process, the pendulum has uh, swung a little too far, but it will take a while and it will settle down again. What did you mean by the pendulum swing? I think because there was a lot of knee-jerk responses, um, understandably so, and I think that for a while we were in a sort of period of of um, uh, trial by social media, mm. and one should always take accusations very, very seriously. But just because someone is accused of something doesn't necessarily mean they're guilty. Yes. Okay. And did you? I mean, amid the the Me Too movement, did you change your behaviour at all? I think there was a, the column by the Times journalist Giles Corran, who said he, uh, amid this that environment, he had to think twice about signing off emails with with kisses because it could be interpreted the wrong way. I mean, did that have any impact on you at all? Do you have to change your behaviour at all? Uh, no, I've never. I had, I didn't have to change my behaviour, and I read his column with interest because obviously Giles is a comedic writer and he plays things for laughs, and it was a very funny column. But um, uh, I still put uh, kisses at the at the end of an email if I'm sending something to a close friend or a member of my family. But I certainly don't put kisses at the end of emails um, when I'm sending um, uh, when I'm sending messages to uh, <laughs> colleagues. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, yeah, okay. Um, I just wanted to ask you specifically about the the Johnny Depp interview, yeah. which GQ did. I think it was the end of last year. It was the cover story. The piece was headlined: "Johnny Depp will not be buried," and in quotes said, "The divorce, the violence, the excess, the vengeance." Now, the piece was written at a time when Johnny Depp had become a, a controversial figure in Hollywood as he'd been accused of assaulting his then-wife, Amber Heard, uh, when Heard filed for a temporary restraining order on Depp. Now, I read the, I'm sure you've read the piece in the, the New Statesman, which did a takedown on this, which, uh, in short, said basically you'd sacrifice your journalistic integrity to, to get the interview. Um, yeah. what, what was your response <laughs> yeah, to that? Yeah, the piece was rubbish. Um, uh, we were criticised for daring to give Johnny Depp the oxygen of publicity. We were offered an interview with Johnny Depp. And I said, the only way that we will, considering the accusations that have been brought against Johnny Depp, I said, the only way that we'll do an interview with Johnny Depp is if he agrees to answer all our questions. And uh, a very good journalist, features director, um, spent a lot of time with Johnny Depp, asking him a lot of very difficult questions. And I think Johnny Depp gave a very good account of himself. But the piece in The New Statesman, a, a magazine which I have a lot of respect for, and, and indeed some of its writers continue to, uh, to write for us, that was uh, an hysterical piece. Uh, and uh, I think they sort of belittled themselves by publishing it, actually. So you don't have any regrets about how you handled it? Uh, the, the Johnny God, no. Depp will not be buried, the headline. You didn't glamorise uh, I, we certainly didn't glamorise him and I have no regrets about uh, what we published, no. 
Can you just talk? I'm sure the listeners were really interested. When when you interview a big Hollywood star like that, how much power did they wield? I mean, in that case, did he actually have a look at the questions beforehand before nope. you interview? How does that work? You had no approval whatsoever. And is that how you work with all when yes. you interview stars? You'd never, irrespective of the star, that they never get a look at the questions beforehand, never. or and no, never get copy approval. Never, 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 never. Right. Okay. There we go. Now, okay, we're coming towards the end now. Just can you talk a bit about? This year, what you've got lined up for GQ, and also, uh, I guess, I mean, we mentioned at the start that you're nearly 60. Uh, I mean, how long do you envisage yourself carrying on in the role for, Dylan? Uh, I've got no idea how long I will continue to do this job for. What have we got coming up this year? Uh, like I said, we've got a huge extravaganza that we're doing with, uh, with Soho House uh, in May, uh, which is a first for us, which will be announced in a couple of weeks' time. Um, we have some tremendous cover stars, um, but the most important thing is uh, the uh, the proper launch of our uh, GQ Hype, which is our free-to-air digital weekly magazine, which we soft launched before Christmas, has been tremendously successful, okay. uh, and we are rather shocked about how successful it's been, but we're very very pleased. Uh, and that is sucking up a lot of time, energy and money at the moment. OK, and just broadly, there has been a number of closes in, in magazines recently. Do you expect them to be more uh, closures uh, this year? Or can you talk about maybe some new trends that we might see in, in magazines? I guess that, that the freemium model, the Mike Suter model, has not worked, has it then, basically? Uh, I don't think it's fair to say it hasn't worked because Stylist is still publishing. Yeah, and Stylist is a very good magazine. Um, and seems to be uh, commercially viable. Um, whether or not there are more um, magazines and newspapers that are going to close, I really don't know. I hope not. And actually, I think that if you speak to a lot of people in the industry, you'll see that um, because there's been such a shake-up, because a lot of people have had to, to downsize, be- because there's been so many changes in the industry, mm. I, I, and there's also a move away from um, uh, from digital news. I actually think that um, uh, I think that uh, I think the the industry is probably in a healthier place than it's been uh, for, a, uh, for a good number of years, actually. Right, that's fantastic, Dylan. Uh, great. And coming up next, we've got Stephen Woodford. Uh, now I'm joined by uh, Stephen Woodford, uh, Chief Exec of the Advertising Association. So here at your annual uh, lead event this morning in uh, King's Cross, Stephen, what's been the big takeaway uh, for you from the event? Well, our theme this year was trust, trade and transformation. And we talked about all three of those huge issues. But of, of, of the one that absolutely sticks with me is, is the debate we had about trust. Uh, I've seen many leads, I've seen many industry conferences, and I've seen many attempts to engage in some of these big issues. But this is the biggest issue, uh, it's the most challenging issue, and I don't think I've ever seen such uh, high-quality, engaged debate from across our industry around an issue. So that gives me enormous confidence that uh, we are going to turn the corner on trust uh, and start to see trust grow again uh, and through taking the right actions. Another another big theme that came through this morning was, in, in a sense, Evan Davis said it. You know, do you have a bad image, or are you just plain bad? And he was talking about in terms of politics and business more generally. And I think in our image, I, I think our, our, in, in advertising, you know, I, I think we've, we're suffering from both. There are things that are bad in advertising, and we've got to address those things and be honest about them, uh, and uh, you know, improve them. And it's in, totally in our power if we have the right sort of industry action 
that we can improve these things. Okay, so uh, Tom Watson, the MP, gave the uh, keynote speech, which he was uh, pretty critical, I thought, of the industry. Uh, he talked about kids reading, uh, he talked about cereal packets, he likened them to uh, billboards for tots. Uh, were you surprised at how critical he was of the industry in his speech? Uh, I'm not surprised about how critical Tom Watson was. He's, uh, these, are, these are views that he's held and spoken about many, many times. He was also had a lot of positives to say about our industry, but he, you know, he, was, he was challenging about obesity and the role of uh, the food industry and the advertising industry, um, in, in particularly around kids' diets and so on. And we all know uh, that we have a huge obesity problem in the UK, uh, and we want the industry to be part of the solution. Uh, our view is that we've got the strictest, view, strictest rules in the world already in place, they're kept under constant review. There's about to be another major review led by the government and that. And the industry has always reacted appropriately to where the evidence is. If there's strong evidence that further restriction on advertising will make a difference, uh, the industry will implement those restrictions. If there is not that strong evidence, then the industry will fight for the, if you like, the freedom to advertise. Uh, and certainly our review of the evidence shows that, in effect, that, that although the rules and the exposure of children to HFSS advertising has, you know, because the rules have tightened, the exposure has dropped dramatically in the last 10 years. Obesity rates have gone up uh, gradually during that time. Actually, the big spike in child obesity uh, really is, has been driven in a way by the behavioural changes, by kids doing less, uh, by um, just a reduction in inactivity. And we see you know, huge improvements in childhood obesity where kids just get active again. The Daily Mile, which ITV is sponsoring, uh, is, has dramatic improvements in schools uh, where it's being run. Okay, they're just out of... With the Tom Watson speech, I don't know how these things work at your conferences. Did you have a, a heads up? Did you read the speech before he gave it? Uh, no, we didn't read the speech. Well, I, I saw the slides uh, late last night. I think Tom Watson's had a lot on his plate, as, as most politicians have had. So I saw his slides last night. Uh, we, don't, um, we don't do anything to influence their speech. We don't brief them beforehand. We want them to come and, and give their honest views. And that's true for politicians of, uh, of all parties. We want to hear uh, what they think uh, and, and where particularly where we can do better. Uh, rather than, if you like, have them come and repeat back just uh, you know PR sound bites about the industry. Okay, and Keith Weed uh, set out his manifesto. He's the incoming uh, president. What would he? What was the key takeaway from that then, uh, Keith Weed's speech? Key takeaway from me is, uh, in, in effect, the theme of the whole day, which is that it's not too late. If we take action now, we can reverse uh, the, the tide of trust. Uh, and as he said, trust arrives on foot and leaves on horseback. Uh, it hasn't left on horseback yet, but there's a danger if we don't do the right things in the next two, three years, it will. And I saw a huge amount of agreement from, you know, often very uh, uh, divided parts of the industry between platforms and publishers uh, around uh, and so on. But uh, on what we need to do, there was a huge amount of agreement in that we need to work together. These are things, these are issues that. Uh, the whole industry is responsible for, uh, and there are problems that need to be addressed in every part of the industry. So it's not about one part of the industry blaming another or just saying it's all their fault, our act is uh, you know, completely clean, we've all got work to do. And I think that's a really important recognition there, and I certainly got the sense and the sense of the will and the determination to do that. Uh, and uh, last question, you had Tom Watson here and you had uh, Steve Richards, the political commentator. Uh, I guess like a lot of people, a lot of the negotiations and what's happening with Brexit at the moment seems to wash over me. Can you just update the listeners on the latest developments in Brexit and if they have any, what impact or what significance they have for the advertising industry too, if any? Well, it certainly has significance for the advertising industry and I think, you know, the... It, it, 
Steve Richards summed it up brilliantly. But you know, it's now you know uh, the the Graham Stewart, who was the uh, industry minister who, who talked before when when he and I were talking before about it. He said, you know, there's a scintilla of a glimmer of hope that we're going to get a deal. Uh, and two weeks ago, that wasn't the case. I think the fact that Parliament has unified around uh, indicated where it would support a deal with changes to the backstop is now up to the Prime Minister to get those changes and the EU to, 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 to compromise. You know, outcome, you know, com- agreements are only ever reached by compromising. And one side saying it's not possible to change is just ludicrous. Of course, it's possible to change. Uh, the EU has a habit of doing everything at the very last minute, um, and deals are done at 11.59. And uh, I, my, I, my personal view is that we will get a deal. Uh, it won't be perfect, but it was never going to be perfect. In, t- in terms of what it means to our industry, mm. it has huge implications. As an example, if there was no deal, uh, we would have um, potentially immediate stops on data flows. Yeah. And given that the UK processes about 60% of the EU's data flows through the, e, uh, the UK at some point, that would have a hugely damaging impact on our business. Um, international broadcasting, you know, the UK is home to 1,400 uh, television stations, uh, way more than any other part in Europe. They're here because they can broadcast across Europe. Advertising is broadcast across Europe from here. We need to ensure that there is some sensible deal done on broadcasting and probably the thing that will make the longest term difference plus or minus to our success assuming that we do leave which now looks very very likely that we will uh, whether it's with a deal or no deal uh, the thing that makes the difference in the long term is how open we are to the world's brightest and best if we have a pro business a pro enterprise a pro growth a pro innovation a pro skills um, immigration policy, we can succeed to, almost despite the deal. And I think one of the big messages that came across from, from Dr. Pippa Melgren, who is an incredibly optimistic economist, which is an unusual thing, is the world is looking at the UK uh, as a great place to do business, and we need to make sure it stays that way. We need to wrap up. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Stephen. Thank you.